everyone, welcome back to another episode of Front Page Dub. My name is Katie Ojeda, your usual host. Um, back after a three-week break this time, um, took an extra break for the international break, letting ourselves kind of take in some Matilda's action. Obviously, they play tomorrow morning after this podcast will be recorded, although by the time it goes up, that game will have played out. Joined, as usual, by Matt Olsen. Matt, how are you doing today? Yeah, good, Cody. Um, I wasn't just putting my phone on Do Not Disturb. Uh yeah, no, great. Um, it's been a been a busy week, and also look with this with this finals period. Um, yeah, intense, but also, have I had an opportunity to flaunt yet that I was right about the top four for for most of the season on this show? And you, in fact, were wrong about Canberra. I never said Perth it would change. I said, respective the, chances. I, said, I said the top four was open. I never said it would change. <laughs> so you are wrong in that regard, and you're also distracting from introducing our third panel member. The first time we've had three people on a show and the first time Matt actually gets to talk to a guest because he um, unfortunately didn't get to speak to Riley when we had her on but we have a new guest ahead of the finals a pretty big name in the women's football journalism space um, I was in Pettis football I think kick 360 as well I don't know if I'm missing anything else but Kieran Yap Kieran how are you doing today good thanks it's an honor to be on the show um thanks for having me so in Pettis football, Kick 360, I feel like you're on something else as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I do bits for um, Inner Sanctum as well. And um, I was with the women's game in its um, dying embers. Um, I'm not sure if it's still still kicking or not, but um, yeah, formerly the women's game. I anything from them in a long time, but Inner Sanctum, I knew. No, I'm the only one in the Slack group still. Like, it's just me. So. <laughs> <laughs> one man show, one not. Well, you've got two yeah. other men with you tonight. We are going to go through all things Ailey women, starting off with how it ended because the final round of that competition was absolutely chaotic to say the least. Um, Sydney FC in the end, an emphatic win to secure them the early women's title, their third minor premiership in a row. And they'll hope, hope they'll be hoping to build on it with uh, finally getting that elusive grand finals win, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, Melbourne city, Canberra United playing out a thriller, which almost saw Canberra United uh, actually make the top four. And would have proved Matt wrong in the end. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, I may have not technically been wrong, but I would have loved to have seen the look on his face if that happened. And Melbourne victory. Um, your girls, Kieran Yap, very, yeah. very close to <laughs> not being in the finals at all. Oh, I know, we'll just like last that. year. I guess just we'll sort of scraped with... through. Yeah, look, I guess we'll start with that part. Um, a Wellington Phoenix side who I guess did have something to play for. No one ever wants to finish last, although... With a net competition with no relegation, I guess you'd it's even if they did lose or didn't get enough points in that game, it wasn't the end of the world for them, of course. But if playing a side like that, obviously, you've got to go into understanding that they're not gonna just kind of lie down and let you guys go through. And you learned that the hard way because the last 20 minutes or so, they really rose up and gave you guys a challenge, yeah. And the thing with, with Phoenix at this late stage of the season is a few of them are playing for spots in the world cup squad. Um, so like I said, they're not going to, not going to like just take a loss or a result lying down. They're going to try and if not for the club, which they all clearly love that they are going to play for the shirt and for their own, um, their own careers as well. Like it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to play a world cup on home. So on some of them are right on the fringes of that New Zealand squad. And, um, you know, we, we put on a good show and gave Melbourne victory a scare victory where like most victory fans really thought we were out at that point, I think. And we resigned to being out. But like last season, just, just scraped through on goal difference. And um, like last season, anything can happen from here, I guess. Crazy moment victory. The way they galvanize when it comes to the final side, it's almost like watching 
a completely different team in a way, but 100% about that Wellington Phoenix stuff. Um, World Cup on home soil, once in a lifetime opportunity. You're talking about those players kind of on the fringes. Millie Clegg's, Clegg's the one that comes to mind, first of all. I think she's one, especially at the way she ended the season. Probably almost, hopefully, securing a spot in that. Um, New Zealand World Cup squad would be fantastic to see her. Great young talent coming through that squad. Melbourne City, Canberra. The way that game played out. And Matt, I actually want your thoughts on this because for a long time it looked like Canberra and Perth were going to kind of battle Melbourne victory for that final spot. Perth, uh, in the middle of the week, unfortunately took a loss to Sydney FC, which it didn't really go down. Well, they did go down fighting, I mean, sorry. But in the end, Canberra was the one that kind of came closest. Uh, fifth spot, deservedly in your opinion, or do you think they probably should have been in the top four? You know you know my opinion. <laughs> We've okay, been talking I, about I it for weeks. But I'm talking about the way it ended. Like, it was, it was yeah, close. Yeah, you yeah. Can't, you, you've got to admit that. We, you said it was down and out. It wasn't. I, I think... Look, even even in the game itself, right? They they came back and they had their opportunity um, to square something from it. But with the three points required, it was probably a bridge too far, right? And I say this knowing full well that at some point one of us had to eat a humble pie, and I think we've both had our fair amount of slices from said pie um, because because yeah, Canberra Canberra did come pretty close. If Perth got some kind of result from that Sydney game, which you know I don't think they were really ever going to. Um, you know, the, the pitch could have been very different. So yeah, we, we both sort of have, have lost. We've both sort of won from this, but ultimately I was the one that said the top four would never change. And ultimately I still felt like I was, I was right in that. Um, you know, it, it, it's so bizarre because I feel like Cody, the conversation actually shouldn't be so much about the, the race that we had. It should be about the fact that given that the men's competition for so many years had a six team finals layout in a 10 team league, why, in lieu of expanding to 11 teams and now 12, had there not been an immediate adjustment in the women's competition? And I think that we we suffered a lot from that because if you were to watch Canberra, if you were to watch Perth, even Brisbane, in a final series, would they be out of place? And the answer is no. So I think, yes, it, we had a very exciting final round and we had a very exciting last couple of weeks of football, but I don't think it's the conversation to be having around this because I think Canberra and Perth should, should be playing finals football now and we should be looking at a six-team finals layout. Um, in, in the coming weeks. If that was the case, that Canberra-United-Melbourne victory game first up, fourth v fifth, Kieran, would you, would you feel confident in a game like that considering how the season playing, ended, of course? Would yeah. I feel confident with victory playing Canberra-United, you mean? Yes, if that was the case. If you're talking a finals game, the finals-Melbourne victory, of course, against yeah. the Canberra-United side, that was just hitting form. Uh, no, I would not feel confident. I went to that Canberra-United-Melbourne City game and, um, yeah, Canberra looked like they were going to win from the stadium. I know I don't know what it looked like on the TV, but from the ground, they felt like they had the momentum. And then Holly McNamara did her thing three times, and that was all she wrote. But um, no, if, if Canberra were in the in the, the finals, and I think on form they deserve to be, then I would expect victory to be going out to them this week. I saw a lot of comments actually from Melbourne Vic- prominent Melbourne Victory women's fans actually saying that they probably would have rather see Canberra United just based on the way they were playing, but. Yeah, watching on TV as well. Unfortunately, I live in Sydney. I wasn't at that game. But um, yeah, watching that game on TV, it, it was Canberra United wave after wave of attack. It was, it was incredible to watch, and you could see it's it's what final it's what the final day should be bringing out. The team putting everything on the line, just going hell for leather. See what we can do, even when all hope seems lost. Like even you, like mate, you probably could have agreed with this as well. Like as much as you thought Canberra were down and out, the fact that they came back in the way that they did. And to push the way that they did, 
it's it's a credit to themselves and it, as much as maybe they haven't got the outcome that they would have wanted they they should they should definitely be proud of their season well anyway look we'll move on to sydney fc in the end i don't think there was well there was competition but sydney fc just do what sydney fc does when push comes to shove they're obviously going to show their class a 4-0 win in the end against newcastle jets and they did leave it late to get a few of those goals as well but that whole match if it wasn't for probably one of georgina worth's best games this season probably could have been a lot worse as well um Kieran, I'll start with you. Uh, did you get a chance to watch that game, and how did you say that play out? Yeah, I watched it. I I, I watched it because I'm, I'm kind of like a closet Newcastle fan as well as someone who really likes this current Sydney team, so it was good through neutral. Um, it never looked like Newcastle were going to put up much of a fight. It was it was kind of a retirement run for Claire Coelho and Tara Andrews, but yeah, once Sydney got that first goal, it was that was they were just going to get a second and a third. It was always going to happen that way. They just have the players that you can defend against them, but once you have to go on the attack, then Courtney Vine and Princess Abini is going to get behind you. I don't know how Abini didn't score, actually. She was just... She was playing right so well. Very similar yeah. to Courtney Vine, actually. It's amazing how Sydney FC just have any player that plays a certain way in the country. They they, they get to pick up the best of the best. It's crazy yeah. how they've got their run. Yeah, you're saying you're a closet Newcastle fan is probably our worst fear than the way we've spoken about them in... <laughs> <laughs> no, I've heard of it. Like the thing is, like I, 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 you want them to do well, like like Canberra, but they're not everyone's second favorite team. But you, you do, I do want Newcastle to be a good team. So I'm always sort of half barracking for them because they are capable of playing some really good football, and they just can't can't get it together off the pitch to to give the players the right support. Um, yeah, Sydney is just something else this season. Like they, they didn't look, they didn't start strong like they have other years, but they just kind of grew into it very steadily. And the midfield trio, no matter who's in there, uh, just they're, they're like clockwork. You can't you can't stop all three of them. Whether it's um, Sarah Hunter, uh, Mackenzie Hawksby, or in this case Indiana DeSantos, like she's fifteen. You should be able to stop that's a fifteen-year-old, but that's, she's that's, just that's absolutely nuts. The fact yeah, that they and their older sister's better. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. look, we'll move on, and we will start with Sydney FC because they are definitely the talk of the league at the moment, doing what they need to do to secure another A-League Women's title. Looking ahead to the finals, though, because that is what's kind of eluding them at the moment. They have been in the last five, I believe, since 2018, five A-League Women's Grand Finals. They won it in 2019, and since then, they just can't take that extra step. And it's crazy, because you speak before, like that, the midfield trio, no matter who they have, their depth. And they're probably the best A-League Women's club, in my opinion, at doing this, but building a side where you can almost have two first 11s in there. I remember last year you had your front three and then you had players like Rojas, Satchel kind of coming off the bench. And this year you've had it as well, where you can have players like Holman or Dos Santos come in and nothing really changes. It still works. Kind of like what you said, Kieran, let's just like clockwork in there. You can't stop them. And even if it did take them that long to kind of build into the season, it's it was still fantastic to watch. And they're still, as much as they weren't always winning the league, they kind of still looked like the best team in a way. But now that they're trying to go for this grand final, what is it now? What is there anything different now to what they've had maybe in the last couple of seasons that does suggest that they're going to make that extra step? I think that their that their best players are at their peak of their powers at the moment, and um, their young players don't look out of place. So, like someone like Sarah Hunter was an up and comer last year, and now she's probably she's she's been most people's best eleven for the season, I reckon. She I'm can sure play not. anywhere in the, that midfield and um, not in yours. Oh, no, no. She is definitely in yeah. mine. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got Courtney Vine, who's who's 
like most people would think she's probably too good for this league at this point. Like she's untouchable when she's in form. And we mentioned Princess Zabini before, who, you know, two footed can take players on. Underrated defensive player too, but also someone who's like reaching like what she's capable of finally. I think I mean I think she gets a hard, hard rap from a lot of people when they think that she's not involved in games. Because she does a lot of work off the ball that keeps their shape and keeps their tactics ticking over. And um yeah, they just have a lot of players who are just Rachel Lowe's another one, who's just sort of she was on the bench most season and sort of came in and looks like Lionel Messi sometimes. She's just running the show all of a sudden. That's, that's what I mean. Their depth is crazy. You have these players come in and it's just like, oh, yeah, nothing, nothing changes. They're still dominating games. But they've got game breakers this season as well, which I think in previous years, Vine was, but not to the level she is now. Like she wasn't a starting Matilda the last two years when they've, they've come close. And um, Madison Haley is another one. Like just, They've got players who can come on and just absolutely just shadow another team's setup and formation. Like no matter what you do against them, someone's going to bob up and do something to, to change the result for them at the moment. And that that's good because um previously knockout football hasn't been their thing. Like extreme consistency has been, but knockout football is a very different thing. And now they've got the players. I think that can that can overcome those last few hurdles for them. So Kieran, so Kieran, just just knowing who Sydney FC are from their past and and what the struggles that they've had at finals time. Knowing what you know about the three other teams in this final series, knowing that Melbourne Victory have a history of showing up for these big games, knowing that Western United from their recruitment, they've really geared themselves up to a situation like this in Melbourne City, you know that they are quite a superior unit and in my opinion, do have the best women's football program in the country. So knowing all of this, what what can you see from Sydney's perspective and their management? What's going to make this scenario so much more different to what's been offered previously um, when they've when they've failed, what, how can they be a superior team in this final series? I think they're set up more this season to win knockout games. Than other ones, I think they have they have the players that can step up when when games are tight. So um, last season, they really probably should have won the grand final the balance of play. But I think this year they've got more players, more than just Courtney Vine, who can who can bob up and, and make a difference. Mackenzie Hawksby's been, I think, one of the most productive midfielders in the country. Sarah Hunter's found a goal since this year. Um, as long uh, from basically a number six position, she can score. And I don't know how you can stop all their weapons. Whereas last year, it felt like you, you, know, you had an answer. That, Melbourne Victory had an answer to Remy Simpson. They had an answer to Courtney Vine with Polly Doran, especially being out of match at the pace. But um, I don't think that anybody really has an answer for all of what Sydney has this year. And it does feel like that's a bit of a massive difference considering, like you're talking last year, there's a lot of players kind of breaking into, not necessarily breaking into the team, but breaking into that level that I guess you could kind of see their potential going. Whereas now they've kind of hit that level they're at, maybe their peak of the powers for now. Like you, like you said before, Courtney Vine last season wasn't a starting Matilda, now she is. Mm. The fact that she's starting ahead of players that are in the WSL. Like you've got these players that have just gone, like it's just taken a year to kind of go to that extra level. And now they're going to, and it's, it's a scary prospect for anyone to face. Um, leave the Sydney FC chat there, move on to Western United because, and Kieran, I'm very, very glad I've got you on because I'm going to let you flex your MPL women's Victorian knowledge a little bit uh-huh. because this Western United side, everyone does know that they were kind of a product of what Calder United were building for maybe the last three, four, five years. Um, I'm not across 100% the MPL women's in Victoria, so I can't give an exact figure, but someone as someone who obviously is covering it a fair bit, could you see, and I love asking people this question because there's always different answers every time, could you actually see Western United going as far as what they did? Yeah, 
yeah, I can see them. My gut feeling is, despite being a victory fan and really loving a lot of the players from City, um, West United feel like the most likely to win two games in a row in this final series, apart from Sydney FC. So they're still they they've got a real winning culture that's built from Calder United, but they've they've added in players from the outside as well, and they've made sure those players have come from teams that have won. So Jess McDonald was um, a World Cup winner. Uh, Angie Beard came from Melbourne Victory with a stopover in, in Denmark. And then they've added uh, Chloe Legazzo, who's obviously a, a serial winner as well with Sydney FC. So everyone they've brought into the team has experience in a winning culture and they've, they've sort of maintained what, what Calder did. But it's really important to notice as well that, that they don't play anything like what Calder United did in the NPL. Even the same coach, a lot of the same players, they changed their tactics up a lot more in the W League than they did in the NPL because... They were dominant last season. There was only Heidelberg could really match them in one-on-one games, and even then they 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 came up short. But Cold United had the ball most of the time. They had they controlled the pace of the game. They they controlled when they attacked, when they defended. They they were just dominant. There was no one really that could match them. Especially even on Grand Final day with players like Alani Amchewski for for Berlin, they couldn't really crack Calder. They just had the ball the whole match. But at the dub, they don't really have that. They don't they don't always dominate games, and they're able to grind out results and find different ways to win. And that's a real testament to the players and the coach as well. To I would have thought that they would try and play like Calder did and win a few games. I had to think I had them at sixth because um, I thought they'd start strong and then eventually fade away. That didn't really happen for any long period of time. They sort of went down and then up again. So I think the fact that they, they've managed to change their, their game plans a lot this year, depending on who they're playing and the way the game's going, that's really impressive. I think that bodes well for knockout games. So my biggest flex is saying is me at the start of the season saying, this Western United side will finish third. They didn't finish third. They finished second. So I might have underestimated them a little bit, but yeah, he'd be one of know. one of a handful of people to, to get to get them in the finals. I reckon, even though I thought they were going to be good, I didn't think they'd be that good. I believe you were on the Ladies League podcast where they actually predicted their final season. Someone actually said that they would make finals, whether it be first, second, third. Was it? Yeah, Rose had them at, at second. Rose. I was on that episode, but yeah, I listened to it. Rose had them at second, and um, she's very proud of that as she should be. Me and Rose on a. Similar wavelength there. Uh, yeah. Shout out to her. Very, I've only met her a handful of times. A very, very good person. But um, look, Matt, I'll ask your thoughts on this because we've spoken a lot about CDNC. We've spoken now about Western United. Um, just a, th- a little thought on how that game actually does play out, though. You know, for for a qualifying final, um, they're always intriguing because you've got sort of the dynamic of, you know, a team in second that really, I mean, any other team in the top four could be in that second position. So from that perspective, it's not like it's the definitive two best teams in the league playing in a big, a big match. So it's, it's for me, it's a very odd feeling for a, 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 the kind of match that it is with Western United though, you know, and, and Kieran you know, being the expert, I, I've always sort of wondered how much their DNA fundamentally is Calder United, just with more experienced international players and, and, sort of uh, former Matildas in, in Chloe Legazzo and how much of it is more, more, you know, they actually have built themselves up to to that A-League level of a club. And I think it's been it's been a really hard one for everyone to judge and, and, and to read that, ultimately meaning that in a finals scenario, they're going to be especially hard to face in um, that kind of dynamic, knowing full well that they've had this mystery about them, you know, for, for, from most pundits and, and from most, you know, um, of the professional perspective out there in Australian football, there are who knows what you're going to get in a in a in a one-off game because they simply haven't been there before yet. And the fact that the game is in New South Wales and the fact that you know it could it could affect 
um, you know, having to travel and then sort of with the fact that the grand final it is in New South Wales in itself, what kind of effect that has long-term as well. So, yeah, they're, they're a funny old team to, to judge in this scenario, but you can't count them out and you can't count any other team out in this in this scenario against them. Um, look, we'll move on to Melbourne City. And Melbourne City is an interesting one because, yeah, look, they're winless in their last four. I don't think there's a way to actually kind of rub it into a good, into a good thing. But I guess there is a shine, there was a shining light in the fact that Holly McNamara was kind of working her way back to fitness. And as much as they didn't win that Canberra game that we spoke about before, uh, Kieran, you mentioned that at one stage, Holly McNamara does just what Holly McNamara does and it helps City oh. out a lot. Um, are you reading a lot into this whole, oh, yeah, she's been withdrawn from the Matilda squad, so is there an injury cloud over her? Or I know you mentioned offline as precautionary, but what effect does that have even mentally on the squad? I think I think she'll be right to play. I don't know if she'll be right to start, but the thing is with City is that they do have players who can play in her position, if not, not in the same way she does. So... Against Melbourne Victory, it's it's kind of like a really good attack versus a really good defense, and I think I think um, I think Holly McNamara is going to be fine. But if she's not, I back Riley Henry to come in and do a job against Victory as well. It's going to be a really really tight game between those two. Riley Henry actually was someone I thought she'd start the season really well. So it's weird seeing her kind of on the bench now. But that also could be because she spent so much time with the Wanderers. I'm used to her starting. Now she's yeah. sitting on the bench. It is a bigger club, of course. Um. Melbourne City, obviously. Uh, and Dario, Dario did try and fit all of his guns into the one lineup, and it just didn't quite click. So I think, uh, there's, I mean, there's no harm in Bailey Henry being 20 years old and coming off the bench at the moment. Like, she oh. is a, a very talented, very fast player. And like, if you're just holding on against Melbourne City and they're they're knocking on the door to score, and Bailey Henry comes off the bench, it's not what you want to see. So I mean, it's you're going to be in for a tough time. Well, she's a good that. player. We're talking about Bradley Henry coming off the bench. If it's the reverse and it's Holly McNamara coming off the bench, that is not a good prospect for anyone. Even a half-fit Holly McNamara, I would not want to be facing. That's, yeah, and, and Victory don't have that on the other side, really. I mean, we've got... I'll say I'll speak as a Victory fan now. We've got Leah Privatelli, who I, I rate incredibly highly. And then we've got BD Go on the other side. And Melina Ayers, and I think Catherine Zimmerman might be... Well, she did go up injured, so hopefully the, the week off has helped. Um, but... There's a bit of a there's a bit of a, a lacking in in attacking depth at victory compared to city. So they can bring players on off the bench to change the game, and we can't. Whereas the semi final last year, when they needed a goal, they didn't have anyone on the bench to bring on, and it really showed because we were just bringing on players to just pile on the pressure. So that I think that'll be where where the difference is this week. It'll be because city have the depth in attack, and and we don't. If if our forwards fire, then no problem. If they don't, then there's not much to bring on. I'm talking about Melbourne victory, especially going up Melbourne, going up against Melbourne City. I did a little research into this because I was just curious. Now, they've only played, I think, maybe three games since this. But Melbourne City haven't beaten Melbourne victory since that Australia Day clash where they won 5-1. Where mm. Hannah Wilkinson uh, turned into prime Lewandowski. And Maya Markovsky yep. <laughs> got her debut goal. Um, crazy day that was. I just remember watching that kind of with my jaw dropped. So... Decent omens going in, going into that game for Melbourne Victory. Obviously, the last time they met, Melbourne Victory did come out on top. Um, Melina Ayers, I believe, opened the score in that day. And that's someone actually I want to bring out because she did spend a fair portion of the season injured. I don't think, Matt, we've actually spoken a lot about Melina Ayers on this podcast, considering how good a player she is as well. How much of a difference does that make for Melbourne Victory just going into a finals game like this, Matt? 
Yeah. Um, I recall us actually doing a small, like five minute segment on Melina Ayres and, and sort of um, her development with regards to development pathways, but I don't think we actually spoke about her performance overall for the season, which is interesting because yeah, I mean, you, you have a player who can be pretty reliable in front of net there. Right. And I think, for victory, now I, I, I say this knowing there's a victory expert in <laughs> on the podcast, uh, but you know I, I think they're a, they're a team where having a, a player that as reliable as that who maybe doesn't have the stature of other forwards like a Matty Haley or a Courtney Vine at Sydney, for example, can be can be a really really important asset, especially when it comes to these one-off games and especially when it comes to your performance overall, because the less that people expect the more it sort of rolls you up to perform in a final scenario. And it's it's that kind of thing that is the reason why victory can be so good in these one scenarios. So I think Melina Ayres is someone that, you know, deserves the credit at, you know, an A-League women level to be that elite forward um, for a victory side that we know can punish anyone on their day in, in this scenario. So, yeah, she's one to definitely look out for. I do apologise. Um, That clash that was 5-1 was Boxing Day 2021. Melbourne Victor undefeated themselves since Australia Day, where they lost 6-3 to Sydney FC. But in that time, they've only won two games, a lot of draws. Their well, last three, I believe, have ended in draws, so apologies for that mix-up. But Kieran, is it's been a bit of a weird one, because it's not necessarily a trend of, oh, they're always going at, um, behind first and trying to catch up late, or oh, they're always going ahead in games and struggling to see it out, like what we saw in the Wellington Phoenix game. It's kind of been a mix of both. And you've mentioned talking as a victory fan before. I wanted you to bring that out now. And just a final comment on just generally Melbourne victory in finals before we go into the game specifically. But does the fact that there is a track record of draws in recent games worry you at all? It does in a knockout game because if it goes to extra time, we, we can bring on Ava Bradis, who I think is really talented, but she's still only 16. I don't know if he can depend on her to win finals just yet. And... um. I reckon Maya Makovsky should be getting more game time, but I don't know what the what the behind the scenes story is there. She might she did come back from a big injury. But apart from those two, there's not really a lot that we can bring on in extra time to to change the way a game's going if City have the upper hand or you know, just if we're getting a bit tired. So Yeah, I mean the Molina Airs factor gives you hope. And the fact that Leah Privatelli always shows up in big games gives you hope. And the emergence of Alana Murphy really into a, a top tier player this season, I think. Um is giving a lot of hope to the victory fans, but it is hope. Like we just think that we could do it. All the numbers point to city. And um, even though Melbourne city, I don't think have beaten anyone in the top four this season is the other thing. I, I think that's, that's something that's, that's sort of gone under the radar. There's, there's smash teams. I should smash. And they've come up even with teams where they're sort of thereabouts like Canberra and Melbourne victory. And uh, I don't think they've beaten West United this season either. So yeah, I mean, everything points to city. But victory can can pull something out here. If Melina Ayres scores a couple of goals that she did, the one she got against Wellington, then you know anything can happen. We just have to hold on if she gets one early. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point you raised about City. From my recollection, I don't think they have actually beaten anyone that they are going to face going to face in finals. Um, Melbourne Victory, you say you hold on to hope. They are they're a vibes team when it comes to finals. That's probably the best way I can describe it. There's it's the same last year. There wasn't really anything statistically. That mm. would point to Melbourne Victory doing well in that final series, but they just went out and did it because it, it's almost like a culture within the club. When you come to those must-win games, they know how to step up. It's it's probably the best. They're a big club. They've got that kind of big club factor about them when they go into games. It's like, yep, when we want to turn up, we're, we're going to. That's it's probably the best way I can describe it because 
it doesn't matter what's going on. What doesn't matter what's happened for the last 20 weeks. You just know when it, once it comes to these games, the fact that they've gotten themselves there, the fact that they have gotten over that line in the end, it, you don't want to face them now. Especially, it doesn't matter form. That all goes out the window. Even last year, their form was shocking going into finals. Maybe not shocking. That might have been no exaggeration. But it they limped good. in. Yeah. They, they limped in exactly. So, kind of the same way they have this year. But it, it doesn't mean anything because, you know, once you face them in finals, it's, it's a different side. Everyone's on their game. I think the only thing this year is you are kind of missing that Alex Chidiak creativity in the center of the park. It's something Matt, me and you have spoken about. And I've actually said on Twitter every now and then, uh, Markovsky, I'd love to see her kind of in that 10 role. I think she's got probably the skill set for it. If you watch how she plays and even speaking to her before the season started, the way that she likes to play, the way she talks about herself, she probably would suit that role. But um, between Alex Gorn, McNamara back, maybe depending on how that's, that injury has gone. Matt, I'll get your thoughts. Do should victory have a chance and do they? Okay, your thoughts first, Matt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my question to Kieran would be: What do you think is the catalyst behind victory's success in these one-off games? Because to me, the fact that you're talking about it in this way of okay, well, City are on the up and up, victory are down means nothing. It's a final. It means nothing. It means nothing. Mm-hmm. And someone like Holly McNamara is going to make all of the difference, except. Yeah, well, she because because we've seen we've seen without Chidiak, yeah, they've been this they've been a far weaker team, and everyone's acknowledged that. But what what victory do is they've always found a way to win this, and there is something in the DNA. So that's where I would just point the question to Kieran again: what what is it that makes this makes this work, and does it mean that there's you know almost a lack of fear going into what could be a game against a really stronger Melbourne City side? Ah. Uh... I think you're right. I think it's a DNA thing. I think it's a it's a winning habit thing. They've won two two grand finals in a row. So this group of players know that they can win grand finals. There's no question about it for them. There's no real doubt. They know that they can actually get the job done on the day if they need to on any final. They know they can win knockout games. The coach knows they can. He trusts the players to do it. And even with that Kayla Morrison last season, they managed to to, to come through and she was vital to the, the one the year before. So if anything... Without Chidiak, without Kyra Cross, they're weaker in attack, but they're stronger in defense than they were last season. And um, if you allow me to switch switch sports codes for one minute, I'll break the no Sharon rule. I don't know if you have that in Sydney, but it's a thing in Melbourne. I once spoke to an AFL player who was I was asking about another club having this this cutting edge training technology, and I asked him, does it give them a mental advantage when you come up against them? And he goes, no. Nah, I'll tell you what gives you mental advantage fact we've won more premierships than them so that's what victory have at the moment they have this they have this knowledge that they can win grand finals and they can win knockout games and this group of players can pull it off when they need to despite form despite COVID, despite injuries they can they can actually pull something out of the hat here and i think molina airs is crucial to that but if you know if it's last minute in the line of murphy gets a free kick at the end of the box i'd back it to, to, to hammer it in the net as well she's just that sort of player and they have a few of them who can pull something out even if they're not playing very well what because you mentioned you mentioned Kayla Morrison there, and obviously she wasn't she wasn't around for the grand final success last season. With with what we're trying to figure out is the catalyst behind this. Would you dare say that leadership is a big part of that? And someone like Kayla Morrison being in that team means that victory are basically assured to play that game very very well. Yeah, I think it's huge. I think even though she wasn't playing last season, she you could see her on the ground after the game. She was in the in the stands or in the coaches' dugout in most matches last season. And 
the year before that we had Angie Beard captaining and, and Lisa Devana on field. So there, there is there's always been strong experienced leadership at Melbourne Victory. I think it's a, I think it's a big part of it. I think it's all Jeff Hopkins knows knows how to win knockout games as, as well, and he's got a good brains trust there. So in his assistant coaches, there's Caitlin Friend, who is manager of Bulleen in the and, and PLW, and uh, John Clemente, who's the manager of Heidelberg, who did very well last season, were unlucky not to be in the grand final as well. So there's there's three coaches there who are probably the three best in Victoria or among the best in Victoria, all geared towards winning knockout games because that's just what what, what they do. All right, I'll get opinions from both of you. It's the team that actually comes out on top of this game, City or Victory. Kieran, you first. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't want to write City off, but the fact they haven't beaten another top four side just tells me victory. Probably, I think. I think victory probably. That is that you're in a victory fan speaking, or is that actually? Uh... I can't write them off. I can't, even though like that's the thing with them. You know that they're gonna. That you never go into a game thinking we're gonna get smashed here. You sort of go and going. We could do it. Like there's no hopelessness about supporting this team. So I can't that, write them that, off. That's our big club DNA, Matt. What do you think? Yeah, look, I've, I've spent week after week, well, fortnight after fortnight on this program, banging on about the fact that I think Melbourne City are just a really elite program and they deserve the fruits of a lot of their labour, right? So there's that. And then there's also the DNA of victory of this incredible finals team and you just can't write them off. And the loggerheads is making me think this game is going to go to penalties. So I'm going to suggest that it goes all the way to penalties. Knowing yeah. what victory can do and knowing who City are, it's uh, two incredibly... Uh, you know, formidable sets of DNA going up against each other. As for who wins on penalties, look, just because of the whole camera claim came close, Perth came close type dynamic, I'll say City win it on penalties, but this game is is going to be a thriller no matter what, let alone the fact that it's a derby. I feel like we, we don't even, we haven't even touched on the fact that it's, you know, it's a derby and you just have these two sides that are built for this game. Um, it's fantastic. And, yeah, I just I want to see a big exciting game. So I'm gonna... really did. Yeah, I'm going to agree there. I'm going to say one one and go into penalties as well, actually. But I think Casey Dumont will come out on top. Oh, Casey Dumont. I, I'm surprised I haven't actually brought her. I was going to bring her up earlier. She, you talk about a very strong defensive Melbourne victory. Casey Dumont, alongside Kayla Morrison, is a very very big part of that. She's one of my one of my favorite players watching the league actually. And you're talking about a keeper in that regard. So and another another big catalyst. Sorry, Cody. Another big catalyst in that sort of leadership. Uh, a conversation like you know, someone like Casey Dumont is a big part of why Victory have success. Oh, 100%. 100% agree. Look, I'm glad we have some point of difference. I'd probably say Melbourne Victory, maybe extra time. I don't know if this is going to go to penalties, but look, I just want to see some goals. You know, I've said it to you, Matt, every time we talk about a big game, like I say, 3 2 4 2, give me, give me something entertaining to watch. I don't want to see a um, gutsy 1 0 effort, it, it, it doesn't always excite me the same way. Like we talk about the last round. A three-all, that's that's literally my dream. Look, there is another semi-final. We want to give that a bit of love too. Um, obviously not as big as a Melbourne derby, which, like you said, I'm surprised we haven't actually mentioned that fact yet. So that is quite interesting. But um, Sydney FC, Western United, top two going at it. Sydney FC probably shaping up to go in this game a little bit better. But Western United, Kieran, you said it before, this is a side that did have a very good culture of winning. And if I'm not mistaken, they did win the grand final in the uh, NPL Victoria last year. They won the treble. They won the, 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 the knockout cup competition. They won the grand final. They finished on top of the ladder. So they, they like victory. They know how to win trophies. Um, They know how to win knockout ones and they know how to win the league. Um, the thing with West, you know, we touched on it earlier with the traveling. They, it's not 
a, a short-term plan. It's not a, not, a, not a lucky thing they've done this season. They actually sent the colder players before the dub team was even formed on trips with West United men's team to Tasmania for the, just to play friendlies against local sides for the simple reason of just getting them used to travelling for football games interstate. So there's, there's been a lot of long-term planning behind like everything with this club. They've done everything the long way around and the, the, the most careful way possible to get everyone used to it. They've, they added extra training sessions to the colder players um, last season just to get them used to the intensity of training more than twice a week that you would with an NPL team. So their success this season has been built on a lot of planning. And I I think you combine that with the players they've got. I don't know if Legaza is going to play or not, but if she does, that's huge. Uh, Jacqueline Sawicki has been good when she's come in. She's been added late in the season. Angie Beard against Courtney Vine is going to be a massive battle. Um, they're, they're primed to, to pull off an upset here, I think. But I can't say Sydney won't win either. Like, you just can't, you can't say that about the players they've got. It's interesting because we look at the final series and you've got Sydney FC, Melbourne Victory, Melbourne City, three massive sides, three sides, sides very seasoned when it comes to finals football and you look at West United and it's like oh okay this is the surprise package but how can they go in those high intensity games but the reality is they've been in these situations for a number of years now and you look at last year you're taking out not just the final series in the NPL but you're going through the cup competition as well so there's a lot of players there very used to knockout football so as much as yeah they've got to now take that to another level and maybe that question of whether they can do that still remains they're definitely not... This isn't a foreign concept for them, playing finals football or playing knockout football in general. And the fact that they do maybe have that safety net, that can come into play as well. So that first game, they'll probably take a little bit out of that. Like you said, Sydney FC, you, you can't write them off, unfortunately. They're, they're this juggernaut team. And Matt, I'll get your thoughts on this part because we've shown a lot of love to Sydney FC this year. I, I don't know if I can say where do they hurt West United because we all know where they're going to hurt West United. But if you're in Sydney FC's position, if you'll say... Ante Yurich, do you look at this West United game and go, yeah, look, we should feel really confident? Or is there maybe that little bit of doubt in your mind? If there's doubt in Ante Yurich's mind, Sydney won't win this game. So so all he has to simply do is fundamentally change the way that they approach this type of game and understand why they've failed in this scenario previously. But there's one thing that I just can't wrap my head around with this, and it was sort of what I was alluding to before Western United, the full package. So we understand enough about Colder United's background, but the full package together being in a final is still something that is technically untested at this level. Right. So being the great unknown in that respect, how much will that challenge Sydney? And that's where Ante Juric is going to have a headache. So, but that being said, look, I'm still going to tip Sydney because I still believe that they all be able to right enough wrongs and prove that they are the most a superior unit and also you know they have the element of saying well if we win what is a qualifying final we're going to be you know we're going to be guaranteeing that um you know we can go essentially you know play this game in Parramatta okay it's not home home it's not you know Sydney FC's heartland but it's it's home from the perspective of we'll stay in New South Wales and we won't have to be bothered with travel that is huge and that if if they can back that up they'll go into the grand final very very confidently that's the thing with Ante Gurich. I feel like, look, he's a great coach. I'm definitely not going to deny that. But I feel like he does kind of base a lot of things. Like, he's very stringent with how he plans things. He's um, very organized, plans ahead. Always make sure he knows what's coming up against. And now you're kind of going into this great unknown. And that's kind of why I wanted to ask that question. Because it's going to be interesting now how he shapes up into this situation where 
it's definitely something he hasn't seen before. No one knows how this side's going to step up. Kieran, you're probably going to be the best person geared to see how they are because you've watched this side for so long. So it's definitely going to be an interesting one to play out. And as much as we look at this Sydney FC side, I think they're a side that almost looks untouchable. They've got so many weapons, and it's a question of how do you stop them. Is there maybe that internal doubt going, okay, this isn't a game that we 100% know what's going to happen. And I think that's probably the biggest question going around Sydney FC at the moment. That's probably the only question I can ask of them going into this game because everything else they just seem to answer. Yeah, so, it's all it's all above above the shoulders, isn't it, with them? Because like it's the opposite of Melbourne Victory. Melbourne Victory know that they can win grand finals. Sydney FC don't know that this current generation. So if if they go into this like they have every other game in the last month, then they'll win. It but, almost just comes from a, a thing of they just can't overthink this. It's it's a question you can yeah. ask of a lot of people. They say it a lot with the men's game. If I think like the top pinnacle of football, you're talking Champions League, people say that about Pep Guardiola. He tends to overthink the um, big occasions. But yeah, look, you look at Sydney FC. If they don't, they just simply just don't do that, and they'll be all right. So look, I'm... yeah, I will. I will say though that, that Sydney FC's two biggest weapons, apart from Sarah Hunter, are and Mackenzie Hawksby and probably Rachel Lowe. Now, this point's losing its point. Um, apart from those three guns, right, you've got Abini and Vine, who are always playing well when Sydney are playing well. And West United have good fullbacks. They have Angie Beard on one side and Stacey Papadopoulos on the other. And they're both fullbacks with winning experience at their club level. Um, Angie Beard knows she can match with match Vine. And um, Papadopoulos will back herself against Abini. It'll be a really tight tussle on the wings. And they're one of the few teams that has fullbacks that can, on both sides that can match Sydney's players. So if I had to tell you to pick a winner, who are you going with? I'm going with Sydney FC. And it's, it's hard it to sucks to say as a Victorian because I really want West United to win. But, I mean, I've watched every every game this season. At Sydney in full flight, there's just too many weapons. Oh, if if Hawksby doesn't score, Hunter does. If Haley's not firing, then... Rachel Lowe's in and she's nipping in behind. If Abini's not not really getting shots on goal, Vine's getting in behind. Like, there's just too many players. And if worst comes to the worst, Tobin pops up with a header because she's usually good for a goal or two a season as well. It's it's crazy to think about. Look, I can't look past the Sydney FC side either. They're just it's it's just a knack about them. So look, that's pretty much it for what's gonna kinda happen going into fine into the first week of finals. Before we next record, we have the preliminary finals loss. So obviously the loser of that last game that we spoke about will play the winner of the Melbourne Derby. So Melbourne City, you said Melbourne Victory actually would win that first game. It looks like they're going to play Western United. That's that's a, that's a tasty matchup as well. And it's just a social question I want to ask you actually from a fan's perspective. Do you ever feel that kind of rivalry with Western United or is it maybe different to the sense of what you have with Melbourne City because they've only just come into the competition? Yeah, it's very different. Um with Melbourne City, it's similar to Manchester United and Manchester City in the Men's Premier League. So, sort of like, Melbourne City... Victory really should have been the powerhouse club. And then Melbourne City came in and did things right and took a lot of... We had Steph Catley, we had Ailey Razzo, we had Katrina Gori for a few months there for a while. Like, Victory should have been able to retain all these players in the early days of the dub and been a powerhouse team. And City became that powerhouse team because they did everything that Victory weren't doing at the time. Um as far as culture goes, I think the the rivalry with West United has has the potential to be bigger over a couple of years. Um, their active fans are, are good fun; they they give good banter and they create a really good atmosphere there. It's hostile to the players; it's fun to the opposition supporters. It's um great down at their ground. Um, yeah, it is interesting because 
I think also because a lot of City's players come from interstate as well, like like Bailey Henry and um, Rihanna Policina. They're not. They're, they're from New South Wales. They're from Queensland. Um, West United's players largely come from Victoria, so a lot of Melbourne Victory players play in our NPL as well. There's a lot more crossover there, and I think it has the potential to be a bigger rivalry over time. It's an interesting one you mentioned the actives actually, and this is a topic that I've been extremely interested in, especially as you know me personally. I dwell further into the women's game as what I was maybe a couple of years ago, but the relationships between like between you guys, uh, the Western Core, you guys obviously being Victory Vikings. Um, I know you're probably not the main guy in that group, but I know you. No, I just hang know. out with. <laughs> They're a they bad influence like on me. I'd love to see them for a match, yeah. actually. Um, if Melbourne Victory make the grand final, I'd love to actually meet them. Um, oh, they'll come up. Yeah, oh, they're, they're, so. they'll definitely they come I'd up. Love in, I'd love to see them in person. Actually, the yeah. only Melbourne Victory game I've been to was a midweek one in uh, Blacktown. So on a Wednesday night, that's that's a tough trip. So I wouldn't expect many of you guys to come up for that one. But um, yeah, the relationship between like between you guys, the Western Core. And Melbourne City's fan base, I don't know if they have a designated A-League Women's fan base, but you guys seem to like have a very, very good relationship with each other, actually. Yeah, it's all about creating a ruckus. And um, um, occasionally they've, um, the Victory Vikings have sat with the Western Core for games where Victory aren't playing. Um, it's about creating atmosphere, creating a culture, but they are different groups. Um, and um, they, or they're both in it for their club. And... Uh, over time, I think it'll it'll grow into something really special out here. I remember the first game I went to it was a preseason friendly, and the Vikings were very excited to see another Victorian active group in big numbers behind the goals. They're like, "We've stuck some organism here." They were like having some good fun about it. So, um, uh, all jokes, of course. If anyone from any Park Security is listening, so yeah, I think it's it's a really exciting thing. The West United one. I mean, I know the men's team has not gotten off the ground with the fans as much as they want to and it does look kind of grim sometimes on the TV but if you get down to the um, Caroline Springs where the women's team plays it's it's like a really good um, MPL atmosphere when it's when it's rocking it so I think it's got that, that Western, the Western United women's side is already kind of embedding themselves into the Western suburbs of Melbourne I feel like yeah they're more geographically place. aligned than the men's side was 100%. you know being in Geelong and being in Ballarat and you know, or going all over the place. They have a home ground. They've brought a lot of fans over from Calder, but not as many as I thought. I thought it would be like I thought it would be like eighty percent Calder fans and a few new people. But there's a lot of people that have crossed over from the men's support too. So it's got a lot of potential that rivalry. And on the field, they look like they're gonna they're gonna clash a lot. And um, off the field, it looks like both fans are gonna gonna bring the noise. So it's gonna be fun. Bringing the noise and the fact that you guys have a good relationship as well is fantastic in itself. Um. You know, everyone always talks, oh, it's great to have, you know, like when it comes to your rivals, we hate them, they hate us. It's fantastic, but it is a bit of a fresh air, breath of fresh air. So to kind of see something different, I guess. Fantastic thing. And, you know, between you guys, um, Vikings and Western Core, the work that you guys are doing, especially just promoting the game, it's fantastic. And you can only credit it. That's essentially everything that we have for today. But Kieran, you obviously you're a one-time guest. Sorry to break that news out, but... um. <laughs> Uh, so you obviously won't be with us before we actually preview the big one, the grand final. And if I just put one question to you, if you've got to pick someone taking it out altogether, um, Sydney FC, Western United, or your girls? Uh, if I have to pick one, if betting the house on it, it's Sydney FC. But I will say that whoever wins that first game between Sydney FC and Western United will win it, win the whole thing. That would be interesting. Imagine if Western United win it in their first season, the grand final in their first season. That would be a fantastic story. Yeah, it'd be awesome. It would almost trump what Wanderers did. Obviously, they won the Premier's plate, but they 
the grand final did alert them. If not, if not Melbourne victory, if Western United take that step, that'll hopefully create some headlines and create some feel good around the A League women's, especially leading into the women's World Cup. Plenty to be excited for in women's football. If you're not getting behind it, make sure you do. I am Cody Ojeda. I've been joined by Matt Olson, Kieran Yap. You guys have any final words that you want to say? Go victory. Go victory. <laughs> Look, hopefully, no matter who it is, hopefully we do see as many people there at the A-League Women's Final as we can. Obviously, there's a lot of contention about it, but it, I think a lot of people, especially in the A-League Women's space, would say this: the Grand Final deal has kind of left the A-League Women's as an afterthought. So, in a way, showing up and showing to Danny Townsend and co that we care about women's football in this country and we care about the, the premier women's football competition in this country will be a good thing. So, look, if you're around Sydney... Get down to it. If Melbourne victory there, Kieran, I expect to see you up here in Sydney with me. I'll shout you a drink. Uh, we'll leave it there. Once again, I'm Cody Ajita. This is me, Front Page Dub. Hope you've all enjoyed, and we will see you in a fortnight. <laughs>